Welcome to Business Done Differently, where baseball team owner turned showman Jesse Cole speaks with successful entrepreneurs who stand out in business and in life by thinking differently and challenging the status quo. We believe whatever is normal, do the exact opposite, and that normal gets normal results. If you want to stand out and be different, this one's for you. Today's guest on Business Done Differently, we have an in-person interview, one of the first here at our new studio. It's Anakia Boatwright McGee, and Anakia is the founder and president of Rebecca Paget School of Performing Arts and Skills at U and EM Prep. And her studio has taught thousands here in Savannah. And in 2017, she was named the National Dance Studio Owner of the Year. She's also a national trainer, speaker for John Maxwell Leadership Team and Jack Canfield, and the author of It's Okay to I Don't Know. Anakia, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much, Jesse, for having me. I didn't know I was the first. You're the first one in suit. So everything we do is we're virtually. So awesome. you are here. So there's going to be a lot of energy I today. I love being a trailblazer. <laughs> Definitely. You were here a couple weeks ago. Yes. And how we met, one of our director of group sales, Patrick, had a meeting with you guys because we saw you perform at the Harlem Globetrotters team. Yes. Your group was amazing. Thank and we were like, all right, they would be amazing at a bananas game. And Patrick came in, and I remember he came in like an hour and a half later. It was a long meeting. <laughs> and he walks in, and he goes, Jesse, my mind's blown. There's another group out there. They're just as crazy as us. Yeah. They care so much about their culture, growing and hungry. And then you reached out to me. You gave him a book. Yes. You said, read this, which is awesome. <laughs> All right. Then we talked and you came over here and I was blown away. And I just share a little bit of your backstory before we get into this culture, because I think it's fascinating. Really when it starts off is I've always been a super inquisitive kid. So I'm the youngest of five. And so it's always been my job to ask questions of every adult around me of why are we doing this or why are we doing that? I don't know if it was fun for the teachers that taught me, but it was definitely enjoyable for me. So I've always loved to just keep things interesting. And I was getting ready to graduate and go off into the world from college. And my mom just said, well, what do you really want to do? And because of my experiences as a teenager working with national organizations and making an impact, that was like my dream job. And I remember having that conversation, like if I could do anything every day, I would love being able to empower people to realize how powerful their voice was. And dance became the vehicle to do that. Now, if you would have told me at 22 that that's what I would have been doing and traveling the country doing for the rest of my life, I would have told you that was crazy. But it was the easiest way that I knew that you could actually grab the audience, hold them captive for about an hour and a half, but at the same time, give them life lessons that will last them forever. And that is really what it comes. Um, if you talk to my family rooms, I've been holding people captive for my entire life. Now I get a chance to get paid doing it with, <laughs> with my team, as well as with the young people and the families and the communities that we're able to reach. I'm a huge fan of dance mm -hmm. and everything we do at the ballpark. It's funny. It's like, are you a baseball team or a dancing team? <laughs> right. Because our players do choreographed dances. Mm -hmm. We have a break dancing first base coach. We have a senior citizen dance team called the Banana Nanas. And this year, okay, we're bringing the Mananas, oh, wow. a literally male cheerleading team, which you may have to help train them a little well, bit because well, they're not ready. I would love to be a part of that. <laughs> but I, I think it's really interesting because dance, we don't talk about it much, but it, it's such a way to have creativity and build confidence and get in front of people. There's so many exercises that can help, especially young people. And so you started at 22 years old mm -hmm. and tell me a little about that. Cause I think the story is crazy and how you're like, I'm going to do this at 22. <laughs> yeah. So initially I wrote my business plan. When I was 14. Why? No, <laughs> that's crazy. This is one of the reasons why you're crazy. Right. Why at 14 are you writing a business well, plan? I'm, again, always asking why. So when I was 14, the studio that I grew up dancing, the owner had two strokes back to back. Now being in the business world, I understand how that's possible. Yeah. But I realized like she was going to close and it was like, no, she doesn't have to close. She'd been doing it for over 40 years. 
So I wrote out a business plan of how it could be adult managed and youth led. And I gave it to my mom and my dad and they were just like, present it. And I always felt that no was just a temporary not yes yet. That was actually my senior quote. So I was like, okay, the worst thing she could do is tell me no, but this will work. She just manages it. And we, as the senior company, would be the ones to lead it. And I presented it to her and her husband. They told me that was really sweet. However, that wasn't going to work. Kids can't run a business. And I was like, but why? And she was like, yeah, it just doesn't happen that way. So after fast forward, that got put on the back burner. I didn't think it was feasible for me to ever own my own business. Mm -hmm. But I would get that from people from time to time. Gretchen Rubin, when I took that assessment, I'm a natural rebel. So rules are just suggestions for me. And so I would have people all the time say, you really need to work for yourself because you're going to be the only person that can make the rules. And I was getting ready to go to law school. And that's what I thought a legitimate job looked like for me. And my mom sat me down and said, look, I think you need to give yourself a shot first. If you don't like it after a year, you can go to law school. And I was like, well, what am I going to do? And what I didn't know is that she and my father had saved that business plan from the time I was 14. And she gave it back to me and she said, just give it a shot. Now, if you ask my siblings, they'll say that's because I'm the youngest that I got a chance to live out my dream. And I did. They found the location that my parents actually had just bought the lease and gave me the first month's rent and told me, look, this is in the deposit. We're going to back you like that. And I haven't looked back. Almost 18 years later, I'm still finding a way to take all of the experiences I had with adults who took their time to mentor me and give that to young people and families and just really allow people to know that if they set their mind to something that no, it's just a temporary, not yes yet, just be willing to keep your head in the game and keep moving forward. I love that. And I see so many similarities. And as the listeners know, you know, I started running a team at 23 years old and had no clue. And I had no business plan. All right. There was just like, (laughs) let's figure it out. And I think a big premise that what you're teaching is the constant growing, hungry, and curiosity. We saw it with Patrick coming in, like his head was blown. He didn't know what just happened. But tell me about those early years. What are those things that you learned most importantly about yourself and then the business to put you where you are now? I think the biggest lesson that I've learned is to trust myself. Oftentimes we're waiting for permission and also excuses for why we can't accomplish things. But I realized at in those beginning years that trusting myself and surrounding myself with really great advisors and being hungry as I teach my team, being honest and humble. So those three things are the catalyst that really kept me going through the lean years and also kept me learning. So as long as I was willing to have a mentor in a book or to invest in myself through masterminds or just reaching out to people and asking them what can they share with me that they've learned along the journey. It's now gotten me to a place where it's paying forward and I'm getting the opportunity to do that with other people. But trusting myself is probably one of the most interesting lessons because I don't think as children, once you get to about a teenage year, you're not encouraged to trust yourself Mm -hmm. anymore. Yet that's probably the truest person that you know who's looking out for yourself is yourself. Mm -hmm. And you know what's interesting too? You're often so caring about what other people think. And if you trust yourself, you're not going to care what the person from the outside that doesn't know you that well thinks. But that is such a challenge that we have in society now, and not just with young people, it's with leaders, because everyone's seeing these most successful entrepreneurs, and they're out there dominating and killing it. And we're like, oh, well, we're not doing it as well. And it's so interesting that trust yourself, because I think trusting yourself, loving yourself, and not caring what other people think all goes together. But again, I think the great thing you said, too, was also surrounding yourself by other great people. And I could tell by you and the curiosity. First time we met, spending like 30 minutes asking every question. I was like, you know, my shoe size, you know, everything about my life. Yeah. It stays true to your brain and who you are. But I think the story you share in the book about when you were 14 and the homeless gentleman, 
And just share that because I think that set the tone for you to surround yourself with great people. My mom is a former school teacher. Mm -hmm. And so she was always about life lessons. Mm -hmm. So everything was, this is a life lesson. And so she got a couple of friends of mine and said, do you guys want to do something really fun during the school break? And we're thinking we're going to go do something fun. And actually she had arranged for us to go to a local homeless shelter to serve the homeless. And needless to say, there was not a lot of smiling faces that -hmm. were going on with that. But one of the lessons was this one gentleman, like after we finished serving everyone, her next task was for us to sit down and have conversation. And so I just picked this one guy who didn't look as homeless as everyone else. (laughs) Again, being a teenager, you're like, okay, who's the least offensive to my sensibilities as a kid? And I remember talking to him and him really sharing the fact that that was not his final destination. That's not where he saw himself, that he had actually had a really good career and a family and was extremely successful. However, the picking the wrong friends and not having the ability to say no to the wrong things and saying yes to the wrong things actually caused him to be in that situation. And if he could give any advice, because I always was asking questions, you know, if there's something you know now that you wish you knew then, what would it be? And he said, picking the right friends, Mm -hmm. being careful of the choices that you make because they all add up. So that was actually the first time I was introduced to the concept of the compound effect, Mm -hmm. that the small things you do every day add up to the impact that you experience the next day. And it just left such a a message for me because you never see that. You see the rags to riches story, but not oftentimes do you see the riches to rags story. And the probably the saddest part for me was that he lost his family. So it wasn't the monetary loss. It was the fact that you built this nucleus for someone like his children, and now they're growing up without their father. And so that's been one of my biggest mantras for myself is no matter what happens and no matter what privileges you have, don't lose sight of the important stuff. Mm -hmm. Because if you're an entrepreneur or you're a person that really enjoys what you do for a living, it can become very easy to get caught up Mm -hmm. in what you label as success and lose sight of the things that are really going to cause you to have a legacy, which is your family and the people that you're able to impact. A hundred percent. If you want to change your life, you need to change your environment. Of course. And I think it's so interesting because you're talking about the people you surround yourself with. And obviously, you look at hotbeds, you look at the Silicon Valley, you look at the New York cities around the top entrepreneurs, but that's not an excuse. We look at ourselves, it's like we surround ourselves with the things we listen to, the books we read. And you know what's really interesting? I found out if you go deep into something, like right now, if we're deep on culture and you're studying it, that's all you're seeing, that's all you're thinking about. And I realized that I was so deep on the culture recently, I was like, ooh, my creativity, I got to get that back going on. Mm -hmm. So I started listening to like Conan O'Brien podcasts, I started listening to comedies (laughs) because again, that's how you bring it out. And it's not just the people you're around every day. It's Mm -hmm. who are you putting yourself to listening to and read. And I think that is such a good point that people don't think about all the time. It's exposure. It's the education that you receive through exposure and experience. So Mm -hmm. the three E's. Oftentimes we think education has to come from a building or it has to Mm -hmm. come from a book. But our brains are constantly learning. You have a son. Mm -hmm. So you know the curiosity of childhood (laughs) is there. And they're constantly looking. I love infants Mm because you can tell they're recording everything. From the facial expressions, and I kind of do it. It's a little cruel joke where I'm talking to an adult, and I just love seeing the infant's head ping pong between voice to voice because it's like, okay, if I can capture this kid's attention with my voice, then it works. Well, we're recording still, Mm -hmm. even as adults. However, it's recording on the back level. So if you're not paying attention to what you're listening to, you're not being aware of Mm -hmm. what you're reading, you're not being aware of the conversations that you're a part of, you will not be aware of this subconsciously you are changing the programming that you have in your mind. And then when people wonder why they're not accomplishing as much, 
it usually goes back to just adjusting those small things, mm -hmm. such as allowing to influence them. 100%. And it's not just what you say, it's what you do. And, yeah. you know, I got me thinking about that. I have a young baby who's going to under a year old mm -hmm. and he's watching what I do, not necessarily what I say. I don't know if he's understanding anything I'm saying at this point, <laughs> but the reality is like, you know, that's why when I write my thank you as in the morning, I'm like writing my thank you as showing mm -hmm. them or I work out in front of them or just, I show those things. And it's so obvious if you are around your phone or on your iPad, they see it. And so that's something to think about as a leader. What are they seeing you do every day? And I, we could go on a personal development and we're going to get back there. All right. <laughs> okay. Cause this could be a 12 hour show, but I want to go into the culture, because that's what I'm blown away by and your desire to help your people grow, get better and improve. And you're doing some really unique things. Can you share a little bit about some of the things that you're doing? Because this is business done differently. Yes. So one of the things is I realized that I started being very intentional with the people that I hired to work with me. So it's easy to hire a resume, but we wanted to hire people, which blows back to the personality. And so at the same time, I started hearing this buzz within the industry of people complaining about millennials. Well, here's the thing. I started going, what makes their generation any different than my generation? And then I realized it was the training. So that became extremely important to me to make sure that I invested more time in the training than I actually invested in the complaining. Because you can complain all day long, but you need to train. And your training is what shows up when they're in the front of lines. So I became very intentional about the training. So our team meets at 6 a.m. every morning. Uh, Monday through Friday. Monday through Friday. All right. Let's not get crazy. No, Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. for a 90-minute huddle. We call it our focus meeting because our theme is to focus forward. So we want them to stay focused. And it's training. And the interesting thing about it is they walk out better for me because that's what the issue is. Like it's teaching them that it's not always about the education that they received because they are awesome scholars, mm. but I need them to have the exposure to what winning looks like. If I'm going to delegate this thing that I've built from the ground up to people, I want to make sure that they have clarity on what winning really looks like. So what does winning look like? What does this 90 minute yeah. huddle look like? I mean, you've had one today. What yeah. does it look like? So our 90 minute huddle looks like our feedback report. So we do something called a two minute grid where every person goes through what happened the day before. How do they rate it on a scale of one to 10? If it's not a 10, what needs to happen to get it to a 10? It also allows them to have accountability and ownership of their actions because at the end of the day, we want to make sure that each person feels like they earned their paycheck and they're not being gifted their paycheck. Mm -hmm. And earning it means that they can tell you what does their $1,000 day look like. So we'll say, okay, everyone here is a $1,000 day because of the pay scale. I'm a $10,000 day. So that puts a little bit more pressure on me to make sure that I'm delivering because I have to do that feedback as well. What do you mean a $1,000 a day? So we look at what people feel they're worth. And our team, I actually got this. We were on the same page when you and I were talking to each other mm -hmm. of they get to set their salary and they get to tell me what they feel they're worth. Because the number one thing I started hearing when I'm reading or listening to podcasts is people complaining that they're not getting enough. They're not earning enough. Mm -hmm. They're not being valued enough. Mm -hmm. And in this economy, we value a person's worth by the money exchange that they have. So mm -hmm. why not set your own worth? And so they do. And so now as they're setting their own worth, that means we literally break it down mathematically to say, well, in order to be worth that to the organization and for us to continue to grow on outcomes, because we're measuring results, you need to produce and then insert the amount. So some of our team members are $5,000 days and some of our team members are $1,000 days. It means that we're putting a value to the task. It's not their necessarily salary. I'm, yeah. I was like, a thousand. You're, well, you're no. paying some people really well. <laughs> no, it's, it's the it's, effort it's, and it's, it's the energy and it's the production productivity. Like what are, like someone may say, well, I come to work from 6 a.m. to 6 a.m. Mm -hmm. But if you've not, I mean, 6 a.m. Yes. to 6 p.m. But if you haven't done anything, 
then that's not worth anything because you walked yes. in the door. But now if you told me that you went and searched and rescued new leads mm-hmm. and that of those 50 new leads that you ran after, 10 of them produced a client, 20 of them actually who signed up, mm-hmm. 20 of them produced a callback or an actual face-to-face kind of conversation. Now that we can measure. That has value behind it. That is, it gets them off of the standpoint of, I just did enough. To I exceeded the expectation. So it's almost like putting a value that you're hoping that they generate or just because it's like a real number. So like a thousand dollar a day. Mm-hmm. Is that like them to bringing in a thousand dollars a day? Their effort should equate to their outcome should affect their income. So it literally just means them sitting there saying that this one task right here can generate for the organization this amount of money. We're planting seeds yes. that are going to grow yes. and they're going to produce because that's where we get the word productivity from. Mm-hmm. It, the to produce. Yeah. So it's really getting them because you have to remember the generation has changed. Yeah. So when we're dealing with millennials, anyone born between 1980 and 1995, they're also the honorable mention generation. So my gener, I have salutatorians and valedictorians yes. and honor graduates on my team. And if they were to go to bat with some of the members of my team who are in 60 plus, mm-hmm. there it's not even the same work ethic. Because they're accustomed to getting extra chances and they're accustomed to being feeling good. And I love all of that. But now I want to show them that how they show up really does. They can design their future based off of the work that they're willing to do. There's no way that you could have Mm -hmm. taken this organization Mm -hmm. that you have Mm -hmm. at 23. That experience Mm -hmm. has now produced your, it's designed your outcome. Mm -hmm. We're not seeing a lot of that in America these days. If you've seen the documentary uh, Fire. Everyone's talking about it. <laughs> but that's an example of yeah. wanting the product yes. of such people like Mark Zuckerberg yeah. and wanting the product, but not understanding the process. 100%. And not and so when we're telling them thousand dollar days, we're just asking them to be hungry. Yes. Don't be satisfied with doing mm-hmm. just enough. Yes. Be honest. So make sure your time really counts mm-hmm. because it's very easy. We've seen people ride the clock before. Mm-hmm. And then we also want you to be humble. And so that means that there's no job that's too large or too small if it's for the greater good. Yeah, it's quantifying the day. It's, it's kind of yeah. like the 12 week year in the it sense is. that every day is a week and mm-hmm. every week's a month. So go through a little bit more of the practical of your 90 yeah. minute hub because A, people meetings. I mean, there's so many books that their meetings suck and how to mm-hmm. eliminate meetings and all they're out there. Yeah. Yet you're having 90 minute meetings every day. Mm-hmm. What else happens during this meeting? So the feedback, they also get to do what we call an interchange. And during that interchange, any team member is able to give suggestions, input, it also allows them to have conversations. Mm-hmm. So again, you're dealing with the generation that loves to stay with their phone yes. in their hand. It's building their socialization yes. skills, that ability to have conversation. They might get a little criticism mm-hmm. or critique. So it's building up that mm-hmm. muscle of being able to not be perfect. And then the next part of it is what I call the reading shift. And mm-hmm. so everyone's reading because that's really important to and me. you choose the books? I don't. And I do. So this is what I tell them. If I say I don't, I do. I don't make you do anything that you don't want to do. I'll tell you what I'm reading. And I just need you to understand that if I'm reading it, that my thought process is going to grow with what I'm reading. So when I come in and say, this is what we're going to do, it's probably based off of something that I'm reading. Mm -hmm. And then they will always come back and say, so we probably should be reading what you're you're reading. So in January, I was rereading Think and Grow Rich. And they were right on target with it Mm -hmm. because they recognized that anything that was going to shift as the leader of the organization was probably going to come from something that I'm reading. But they're always welcome to read what they want to. Most of our team are reading and listening to an audiobook at the same time that's mm-hmm. different from the book that they're reading. Mm-hmm. So we're just trying to get in as much as we can. And so with that reading feedback, I'm literally telling them how we can apply what we just read to what we're doing mm-hmm. and where we're going. 
because we don't want to just be good where we are. We want to actually show up for where we want to be. 100%. So that's where we are. So, so every day you're talking about that book. So maybe does the book every week it changes? Every week or how we're applying it. So it's okay. not just the reading it. It's the application because so that yes. goes into feedback. Yes. It goes into feedback. If I come in and say, hey, we're going to all wear yellow suits. Mm-hmm. So we're going to hang out with the good, bananas. Good luck. And well, then there's their job to say, okay, now how do we use that? Yeah. What does that look like mm-hmm. for us? And that's a really big question for me is what does mm-hmm. winning look like? Mm-hmm. What is using this look like? Because people can regurgitate to yep. you. But if they can tell you what it looks like, yes. then they'll gravitate to you. And that's really big is I want the message to gravitate and propel them in the direction that I want them to go. Because if they're winning, I'm winning, and we're all winning together. You know, the simplicity of what does winning look like? We always say, like, you know, what's the scoreboard? It's very easy in sports out here. We know if we won the game, Mm -hmm. but are we winning the game of business, the game of life, the game of development? Yeah, are we making an impact? And yes, 100%. And that's all we talk about, the greatest impact for the greatest amount of people. So I think understanding what does winning look like and writing it down is hugely important. And you mentioned uh, reading, and I share with you and Patrick that we do the Better Book Club here. And our questions are very similar. It's a platform and we pay everyone to read mm-hmm. and we pay thousands of dollars out, but it's well worth it because yeah. it's so much worth it than someone going to a conference and spending $2,000 sometimes. And the questions are, what's a favorite quote? What are the key takeaways? What's something you want to implement in our company now? Mm-hmm. And then how does it stick with our, our core beliefs and our fans first way? And so we're always coming back to the fans first way, who we are, what we stand for. How do you implement your core beliefs into your company? So it's constantly there. And everything they do has to measure up against that. Mm -hmm. So right today, we were having this conversation is that if it's not benefiting our activities, facing our purpose. And so if it's not producing impact and it's not producing income, then it's not valuable for us to do. And that's really important for them to understand. Again, it's the training. So everything they're doing, they're measuring up against that core value. We constantly are sharing it with our community that come in contact with us, that this is what we believe. This is who we are. Because I How are you sharing it? What are your core beliefs? Oh, man, our core belief is that it's family first. Yes. It's that it takes a village to raise a child. Every adult is a person of interest in the future of a child. It's that it everyone in everyone matters. And then our last one is to be hungry, honest, and humble. Okay. So those are our core values. And everything has to measure Do you repeat them every day so they yes. know? Well, okay. it's not even that we repeat them every day. They need to use them in, in their sentence structures. Okay. So you'll you, when Patrick was there, he was like, did everyone just kind of say that at some place? At some point in time, people name drop all the mm-hmm. time. I believe you need a core value drop. Mm-hmm. Like you need to drop that in your sentence. That's the tagline to your Facebook quote. That's the tagline to how some of them sign off on their emails because it's that core value drop that says this is who we are because this is what we do. And we show up the way we believe. Love it. And so I really am a strong believer that your belief models your actions. So if you don't believe that this is truly who you are, mm-hmm. then your actions are going to show that that's not what it is. I've had so many leaders ask me, how do you get your people to show up at 6 a.m.? And I tell them because I'm willing to show up for them at 6 a.m. It's that mirror effect. 100%. And so if I'm willing to do it, then they're willing to do it because no one wants to be taken advantage of. Yes. Everyone wants to be acknowledged, held accountable and feel like they're a part of something. And I can speak for my team because they say it often. They feel like they're a part of something that's so much larger than them. Because we're not an industry builder, we're a legacy builder. And that's what we want to do is build a legacy for everyone that comes in contact with us. I love that core value drop because you're right. No one talks about that. I think the next piece of that, what we talk about always, is what stories are we sharing that fit to our core beliefs? Everyone has, oh, here are the core beliefs. Here's their mission statement over here. But do they have stories? What's their story bank? Is it mapping those core beliefs? And I think it's something that we talk about 
all the time. What are those stories and how are we living it? And so, for instance, every week that we have, we have a profit share, as I've shared with you. And every Friday, people on our team send an email to our leadership. What are things that they did that was fans first? Because everything we do is fans first, but also those six core beliefs. Always be caring, different, enthusiastic, fun, growing, hungry. I did this that was growing. I saw Ben do this that was hungry. I saw Patrick do this that was enthusiastic. And we're calling it out and living this. And then we're creating the stories. Because again, if you don't have stories, people resonate with stories. You could say we're fun and we're caring yeah. and we're enthusiastic. But how are you backing that up? And I think the core value drop that you're adding plus the stories, that's really who your company is. It isn't six words. Yeah. And sorry, you got me going no, now. No, I'm no, fired no, but up I'm just saying, but could you imagine doing that every day? Yes. So could you imagine what your team is doing every yeah. week? Yes. Having them actually look for that every day. When I was doing the every What do they do today? What do they do today? Yeah. How do you make today count? Yes. Because like I explained to them, like, okay, let's take your six that you just said. Mm-hmm. And they're looking for someone mm-hmm. who's winning in that. Yes. And they know what perfection looks like to me. And even mm-hmm. though perfect is not what we're going for, mm-hmm. that's why we get disappointed. Yes. Because we have this level of expectations and people don't mm-hmm. reach them. And then every day you're looking for either your opportunity to shine in that position or someone else's. Now we multiply that over the course of a work week of five days. We've just 10xed our outcome. We've just lived a high performance environment, a culture of Mm. greatness. We've taken it beyond what the average person would do. Mm. And we've done what the extraordinary person Mm. would do. And that's why we started going to every day. Because it's so easy to let the week shine through and then get to Thursday Mm. and go, Holy my goalie. I got to find out what someone did. Holy my goalie. All right, I just want to make sure I <laughs> right. hear that. Holy part. my goalie. That's yeah. one of my words that I say because that's your goal. So if your goal is by the end of the week, you're like, ah, I'm blowing the goal. Let me find something. Holy my goalie. I thought you were literally just saying something. <laughs> no, this is, all right. Holy. I'm writing this one down. Thank you. Holy my goalie. But because then all of a sudden you got past the week and you didn't get to it. But I'm looking up here mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm putting myself in an entrepreneur's shoes mm-hmm. that has a young team like you. And my first thought is, no one wants to meet every single day, but you're proving it otherwise. And I'm just trying to think if I had our team here, like, well, why are we going to meet? And I guess they feel part of it. They feel ownership in the meeting. It's not just you running the meeting. And it's also my job to make sure that the meeting is worth their time. Okay. okay. So I have my slides are on deck, which means that I have to have a plan for my meeting prior to. You have slides in your every meeting? Slides you actually do like meeting. a PowerPoint. I have. Well, we do. Who Google, are you? We do Google Slides. Right. <laughs> so it's a Google. Holy it's, my <laughs> goal. This is, this is nuts. Yeah. You're having, you're well, having this, a PowerPoint every day you're putting together. And that's, well, I'm not doing it. I have members of my team who champion that for me. Because okay. that's the other part. As leaders, we don't realize the three Ds. One, do I have to do it? Okay. Because I may not have to do it. The second D is to delegate it. So mm-hmm. if I'm delegating, I'm empowering someone to mm-hmm. take ownership of the results. I'm also asking, I'm allowing them to know what winning looks like for me. So my team member who handles all of the slides, they tell me what winning is clarity. Mm-hmm. It's very clear. This is what winning looks like. So you need about 10 slides each morning in order to make sure that the timing is going right. Okay. That's a checkpoint. Okay. So I need you to get me your content <laughs> by this amount of time so that we can hit that on the head. So we usually have our meetings sitting in a Google slide and sitting in a Google document about two weeks out because as things are occurring, I'm putting the content in there. As long as that it's living in Google, they're able to build that slide deck for me. And so we've Googled our business where everything is living in Google um, just because it allows it to be live. It allows it to be shareable and I can have an idea at the last minute and they can throw it in. Now, sometimes I'm not great at that. And so they're curating slides as I'm talking and But at the same time, we're also, while I'm having the meeting, because a lot of things is organic as Mm -hmm. far as how I speak, then they're also taking notes of everything I'm getting. They call it looking for gold. 
So they're mm-hmm. digging for gold as I'm talking. They're taking the information that we just presented during our morning session and they turn it into an actual document that the team is able to reference in there. We have a process finder mm-hmm. that we call it where they're able to get into my head. So they'll say, okay, returning to the book of Anakia chapter five, verse three, <laughs> and they'll turn to a certain section and then they are able to reference that meeting and see why that meeting was beneficial. So one of our team members is in college. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes she has an eight o'clock meeting. Mm-hmm. I mean, an eight o'clock class, which yes. means she has to leave around 730. She will call in from her phone to listen to the meetings. And that's how I know they work. Okay. Because if you're willing to say, Same not time, yeah. if you're willing to say, I didn't get, I got away free. <laughs> and I don't yeah. have to listen to the rest of the meeting. But instead you're saying, can I call in to listen to the rest of the meeting so that I can know that I'm a part of mm-hmm. the process? Because that's all they want. Everything, what we do, Jesse, is relationships. 100%. It's relationships. People just want to know that they matter. And so because they know that they matter in the outcome, they show up. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe your meetings don't look like six o'clock. Yeah. Maybe they look like. I'm a morning person. I just know my staff. I'm looking at Ben who's filming this right now. He's like, no way. <laughs> but I'm they'll not become. coming. My yeah. team are not morning people at all. And I wasn't a morning person. Yeah. I became a morning person by reading yeah. two books. Yeah. One was the rhinoceros effect. Yeah. And the other one was called Miracle Morning. Miracle Morning. How are you? And so I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Like, I'm going to rock star out my mornings mm-hmm. and then. It was like, and then I also went to this training called Insane Productivity by mm-hmm. Darren Hardy. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that, I was like, you know what? What can I do? And I started training my team. Like, we're just going to wake up five minutes earlier. We're going to yeah. wake up five minutes yeah. earlier. Now they're morning people. Mm-hmm. And when they are, and no one else in their lives are. But what they also realized is that they love walking out the meetings feeling pumped up. Our meetings are not boring. You should come to a meeting. No, here's what you do. I'm, I'm going to unpack a few of these things. Here's what. You're using all this and creating content mm-hmm. and you're taking some of the things or creating this book, the process mm-hmm. finder. We did the same thing. We have a fan's first playbook and we have a discovery journal, things that like people would call failure. Okay. One of those things that we fail that we come, it's discovery. Mm-hmm. I would challenge you, your team. You've got people here that are, have skills. I would actually start recording them. I would record your 90 minute meetings, record them for a week, even do some live because it's interesting. People see like, there's no way this is happening and see what happens. And now that you record it, not only can you get the content, you can also watch the reactions. When you do group interviews, we do group interviews a lot. We're not just paying attention to the person that's going to view it. We're watching how everyone else is responding to that. Like that. So if you video a few of these, I mean, we're like tomorrow we're doing an idea palooza. We're videoing the whole team with the ideas because it's not only great content, but you can learn as a leader and other teams can learn. That's one thing I want to unpack just as a comment. Nope, self. Awesome. <laughs> Make sure we... She's like, oh, no, I got to work more. Our two guys are... It's like, I got to be in at 6 a.m. and I got to film more. This is what's happening right now. But the other thing I want to unpack is talk about making people feel like they matter. And I said this the other day on stage, nothing matters more than making people feel like they matter. And I started putting this to process because us as leaders... You have to simplify things. If you can take one thing from all this, I mean, you simplify, you got your three A's of achievement, you got your two second rule, your E plus R equals O, just read the book or we'll get into it. There's a lot to it. But I started focusing. I was like, moments matter meaning. And I was like, create moments that show people that they matter and that'll provide deeper meaning. And it's a virtual cycle. Once you have deeper meaning, you'll want to create more moments. Once you create those moments, it'll make people feel like they matter. And it goes in the circle. And I was like, that's such a way to simplify it because what you're doing at 6 a.m., as crazy as it is. And I'm about four. So I'm here at six a lot of okay. times. But the reality is that's getting everyone together. And it's not just like everyone else. You show up at nine o'clock. You slowly come into the office. You guys are in this together. And I think there's something huge to be said about bringing people together and doing something that's not easy. That's when you said that when we met two weeks, I was like, all right, you're coming in for this. I know everything else is crazy because you're doing this. Yeah. It's so powerful. And I don't know if there's anything else that you would offer as a suggestion advice. How do you get your team to really buy into something that's a little out of the box. And you're talking to a guy who's yeah. been doing this, but I want to hear your Well, my opinion. question is, have you bought into it? 
Yes, yes. Energy is contagious. Mm -hmm. And if I've bought into it, if I'm passionate about it, if I love it, that will resonate with someone to their deepest core. When they know that you really care about them, I make it a fact, a point that every week I send a text message to each member of my team that really tells them how much I appreciate what they've done and how that allows it to be easier. And they're so personal. And I don't do that for me. I do that for them. It's because everyone wants to be acknowledged. They want to be acknowledged and they want to know that they're a part of something that's bigger than them. I've had so many people ask me, how do you get millennials engaged? Engage them. Yes. You engage them. Yeah. I've missed being a millennial by like four months. <laughs> so I know that this is true. Well, I'm, on that. I'm in there. I'm in there. Yeah. I, barely... I missed it by like four months. Yeah. But here's what I know. Everyone wants to feel like they matter. And if I'm coming to work every day, you don't know the struggle that I might've had to put in mm. to get there on time. But you even acknowledge that you see me because that's what I realized with my team. They just want to know that I see them. See and heard. They see me. Yeah. They see me. They hear me. And I am in the trenches with them. And so when we look at all of these great business leaders and we're going, okay, they're running these awesome organizations. What we forget is that they're not running them. I might be setting it up, but my people are running it. Oh, yeah. So they have to know that I'm in it with them. I love the Chick-fil-A model that mm-hmm. the owners are inside of the establishment. Mm-hmm. There's a really great convenient grocery store in the Midwest called Festival Foods. And the owner is in there. He has a book called The Boomerang Effect. Mm. He's in there. He calls them his ham Sundays. that he's in there. They sell ham on Sundays. And so he's in all of his locations and people know they can see him there. That's a value of getting back to what I believe we've lost with depending so much mm-hmm. on technology. If you want your people to show up at 6 a.m., you have to give them the reason why. Mm. And they have to believe in you and what your vision is for what you're trying to do and see themselves in that. So when people say, what does winning look like? My team will never show up at 6 a.m. How do you know? Yes. Do it for two weeks yeah. and buy everyone pizza on the last day of the two <laughs> weeks. And if they look at that and say, you know what? It felt better going into work today because mm-hmm. if it doesn't feel good, we don't like to do it. I always ask the question, what comes first, the feeling or the thought? It's just flip-flops like the chicken or the egg. But if they feel good doing it, if I come into the meeting and I'm slothful Mm -hmm. and I'm like, let's get down to Mm -hmm. business, then they're going to feel like, here we go again, back to school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Give me the notes and let's keep it moving. But if I'm showing up with PowerPoints, I'm super energetic. Sometimes I show up with Starbucks, not often, but that (laughs) might happen. Then they go, okay, she's really, Mm -hmm. she's dialed into this. She's Mm -hmm. investing in me. And that's what I tell them. I give you what you need to get what I want. And then they'll say, well, what do you want? I want you to win. I want you to feel good every day that you've done something that's made a difference for someone. And if you can do that, then you give other people permission to win. And that's what all of my team members, I really believe, are walking away with feeling like they're giving almost like a generational permission to do something different. Mm. You're giving your team members permission to walk around Mm. in a yellow suit. Good thing no one's doing that. But here's the thing. <laughs> it's just permission to be courageous. Well, it's permission to have fun. And permission to be, to, yeah, be and to be brave. Yes. Like, how courageous is it? That takes a lot to go and target. Or what about walking through an airport? I'm That's a whole other experience. Like, that takes a lot. There's almost nothing they cannot do yeah. that yeah. won't well, that, That's very kind. Well, I, I think a few things I'll pack. And then we're going to get into some games. Right? Okay. We're getting serious. Cool but game. A few things here. Doing them learn. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about this. Everyone thinks what an outcome is going to happen. You got to do it. You got to experience. You got to try it. Just start. We were talking about this before. Anyone who wants to write a book, stop saying you want to write the book. And then the last thing I think, which is interesting, we talk about mapping the customer experience and mapping the employee experience, but you got to design 
What is that amazing, perfect business? And it shouldn't be talking about the dollars and the profit. It should be, what does that look like for every one of the staff? Design it. What does it look like? How do they show up? What do they do during the day? How do they go home? And if you can write that down, map that, it's game over. Because you already now you reverse engineer it. And I think that is the starting point, exactly what you're talking about. So you've inspired me because I talk about it all, but have I ever written down literally what this perfect business looks like in a people standpoint? Not necessarily what are we accomplishing. And can they give it back to you? Yes. Because if it's clear, if it's crystal clear, then they can give it back to you. And that's the best thing is when your people can tell you what's inside of your head. Yes. And you're like, whoa. (laughs) That's why when people say the book was better than the movies, because it was inside their head. Yeah. And you would have cast someone totally different. Well, yeah, because they visualize it themselves. And that's the power of, yeah, when you share. So what happens when a director or producer actually does a focus group and asks people, what do you see this book inside your head? Who do you see playing this lead character? All of a sudden you have a box office phenomenal because you've packaged what people are so afraid to make come alive, which is the voices inside their head. Well, that's a great example. If you say, all right, we're designing this business to do this based on this people. Where do you see yourself in it? And visualize your part in this Mm -hmm. and get them as they're building the script with you. And if you get them building the script, all right, we're good stuff. So now we're going to play a game. All right. This is uh, truth and dare. What would you like first? Truth. Truth. You're still going to get a dare. Just don't. That's the name of the game. Good luck. All right. Truth. And I think you asked me this other day, but what's your biggest fear in business? My biggest fear is waking up one day and realizing that I didn't do everything that I was possible for me to do. What does that look like? That looks like me laying in a, in a nursing home at a very old age and really and truly having a, to close my eyes in death with a smile on my face. Mm. Because, yeah, it's, you don't regret necessarily things you do. You regret things you didn't do. Exactly. And so you don't want to have that fear of, of not giving it at all, mm-hmm. not showing up and giving your yeah. best. All right. Now it's time for a dare. Okay. All right. So this is what we do at our games. This is going to be good right here. Okay. All right. So we used to do it one-on-one, a person, two people on the field with a mic. Mm-hmm. We play a song. As soon as that song stopped, you had to finish that song lyric. Okay. All right. And there'd be some weird songs back and forth. Now we have the whole stadium do it. 2,000 versus 2,000. Okay. But now it's just you. You okay. can't look at the computer because you can't, can't get it. Okay. It's, it's, it, we're going to link it a little bit. So as soon as this song stops, you need to finish that song lyric. Okay. Are right, you mentally prepared for this? I'm not, but we're going right. to give it a shot anyway. Uh, all right. Here we go. Check that on the 87. It's probably wrong, but we're going to stick with that. That's All right. true. <laughs> While we talked about culture for the last 40 minutes or so, obviously you still also run a dance performing. So yes. I had to get into a little Whitney Houston. You nailed it. And I like, I think you were actually closing your eyes and doing this. Which... I had to see what it looked like. I did that dance when I was 11 years old. It was a jazz dance. I had on a red, white, and fringed outfit. Of course you did. Yeah, of course. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Actually, and for reference, anybody, the bananas go back. We had all the players and our staff did a music video, John Wanyatsky. And our very own, I think, Ben actually sang that song, which was oh. unbelievable. So he was checking the lyrics to make sure I had them. Uh, he was he was following it. He knew it really, really well. All right. We're going to finish up here. Go to the ninth inning. Are you ready okay, for this? Gotcha. I've been grilling you with questions. It is now time for Flip the Script. Mm-hmm. You are the host of Business Done Differently. You get to ask me one question. Why are you not meeting at 6 a.m. with your team if you're already here? <laughs> I guess it actually is a great question. It probably goes into sometimes 
I may care more about them in a way than I care about myself. Mm -hmm. But because of that, maybe I'm not holding them accountable. So, you know, it's funny, you know, I believe a lot of things. I don't care what other people think. I wear the yellow tux and wear places, but I care so much about what our people think and our employees and maybe to a fault because I don't want to hurt them. I want them to feel loved. I want them to feel cared for. And I feel there would be mutiny if I told them show up at 6 a.m. One thing that we do in our business, you know, during the season, we'll work till 1 a.m. every single three, four times a week when there's games. So uh, I think the principle is it's not necessarily the time. It's the commitment that you put to engage with your people. And whether it's at 6 a.m., 6 p.m., 9 p.m., I think that's the point, but that's a good question. All right. Now we're going to go. Now it's back to you. <laughs> okay. I usually get asked ridiculous questions on the yellow tuxedo. So think that was, that was real. I got me thinking deep. Question time. If you want better answers, you need to ask better questions. Yes. You are unbelievably curious. You've been since you were a kid, according to your great book. Yeah. What are some of the better questions you're asking these days? Mm, I love asking people, what do they know now that they wish they knew at the beginning or they mm. wish they knew then? Mm. That's been very insightful because very few people get asked that question. Mm. The next question that I've been asking people just because of having the experience of losing my father not so mm. long ago is what would be the last thing you would want people to remember about you? Mm -hmm. Because that goes, it surpasses so yeah. much other things. Mm -hmm. And it's just really, those have probably been the two questions I've been asking people. I love what it does in conversation because mm -hmm. it causes people to reflect. Yeah. And it also strips away the professionalism mm -hmm. and gets you to the core of who they are as people. So I've had some really great conversations with people asking those two questions. Oh, I love that. I finished my, my chapter in my last book is how will you be remembered? You know, how do you want to be remembered? Because I think that's so important to think about your legacy, what you're trying to do. And another question I heard recently, which was interesting, if I'm going to do this and you talk to someone who's done it, again, people need to think about who are they getting advice from? If you're getting advice from people that haven't been there, it's not the best advice. Oh my goodness. But so many people do that. They're always like, what do you think about this? And they haven't done that. They're just giving a personal opinion with no facts. Mm -hmm. But people that have been there. So if you're asking, if you're about writing a book, ask people that have written a lot of books, not just one book or whatever, they've mm -hmm. had success. But one question that I think is really interesting is, if I'm going to do this, why would I fail? It's a weird way to look negative, but why would I, well, fail to do this, do this, and then, then you don't do that stuff. So that was an interesting concept I thought of there. All right, we're going to keep moving. Tool time. What's the most important tool you have in your business toolbox? Yellow legal pad. <laughs> it sounds funny, but no, you walked I, in with it too. Yeah, I was excited. Yellow legal pad. It's just my way of getting everything out of my head. My team carries them. If you ever visit our school, the students carry them. It's just really to me the most efficient way. One, you can't lose it because yeah. everyone has white ones and you have a yellow yes. one. Stand out. Um, and then two, it just really gives you permission to take everything out of your head and you can draw on it, you can doodle on it, you can and you rarely see people tear a page out of it. Yeah. So I have legal pads all over the place. That is in my toolbox. And I would tell anyone that that and a number two pencil. <laughs> I love the old school. So many people going to, I have this app. I use this app. Yeah. I love that. All right. Little rapid fire. We both did the same thing in our books. We recommended hundreds of books mm -hmm. for Bill Reed, which is so funny. It's like, here, buy our book. And now here's another hundred books to buy. <laughs> right. What is one book that you keep coming back to? It's tough to ask favorite book, but a book you would keep coming back to or you would share with others. The Compound Effect by okay, Darren Hardy. Yeah. yeah, that was the first book that I received in my personal development growth that I really devoured. And mm -hmm. literally, probably three months after reading that book, I had my students on the stage of the Mercedes Superdome in New Orleans in front of almost 100,000 people. Right. It was literally that book that gave me permission to think outside the box and not and swing for the fences. And so I played softball for eight years. And so I tell anytime my team hears me go, 
they know we're swinging for the fences. That was a great sound and, effect, by the way. <laughs> and so that's what we do. So that book was one of those things where it's like, this is the biggest, hairiest, most audacious goal yeah. to take 16 kids from Savannah, Georgia, yeah. and get them on stage at the Superdome. And I sent an email and the answer was yes. And so that book right there, I always go back to outside of the Bible. My mom yes. would get upset if yes. I didn't say <laughs> the Bible. But that book is really the one that I think catapulted me into realizing that my business was bigger than Savannah and the impact could be felt just larger than the United States. Mm, I love it. And I love the BHAGs, the big, hairy, audacious goals. And you have yours with Oprah Winfrey and all your big <laughs> visions. I think you need to write them down. And it's something that I take pride every morning, writing down goals, writing down ideas, writing down things. Like and that's always another question I've been asking people. Who do you know that I need to know? Like, yes, who do you, and even my question is like, who do you have connections to that I can have lunch with? Like that's because to me, you don't know who knows whom. So I mm. keep putting it out there that I want to have breakfast with Sarah Blakely and mm -hmm. lunch with Michelle Obama and dinner with Oprah Winfrey. Like that's my trifecta mm -hmm. of a day. So if anyone listening has those connections, like, but again, at the same time, it just reminds me that the things that are inside of my head can be real. Mm. It's so important to share your beliefs over and over again. We're constantly talking, we're going to change the game of baseball. So, well, how are you going to do that? Maybe I can help out. How can you, you have to share your beliefs over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. I love that. All right. Keep it on fire. Here you okay, go. Let's go. Favorite part of the morning routine. Waking up. <laughs> just wake up. Beautiful. Favorite way to unwind at the end of the day? Go to sleep. All right. This is this is unbelievable practice. You, it's, it's hard for me to go to sleep. I have to shut my brain down. It's like a complete shutdown process so that my brain is not, while I'm sleeping, figuring out things that I need to do the next day. So I cannot make lists before I go to bed. Like some yes. productivity is like, make a list before you go to bed. No. my Good luck, brain Because then your mind's going. It's going to completely not go into REM sleep. Okay. <laughs> before we get our final questions here, I'll, the letters to live by. We both finished our book with gratitude, yeah. talking about the power of gratitude. I've shared numerous times the thank you experiment, written over a thousand thank you letters. You wrote these letters, and I think you share with a lot of people who do the same. Explain those. So the letters to live by, to me, are just a way of giving your future something tangible. Mm -hmm. So it starts with a letter to your former self. So that was really just, if I knew then what I knew now, what mm -hmm. would I tell myself? Mm -hmm. And I would tell myself that it was okay to fail and take mm -hmm. time and, and those things that I now know. And then for my future self, it's almost like a time capsule. But it also puts into a solid form the things that I want to see for myself. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, okay, see, how do I see myself? Because that's one of the things that I find is really hard is people don't know what it looks like. Mm -hmm. So they can't find it. So if I can write a letter to my future self and I can see what it looks like and it's very clear, then my subconscious now has something to work with. And I can do organized planning and I can plan for those things to happen. And it's very heartwarming to see young people do it, but to see everyone do it. Because I tell parents to do it for their kids. I would encourage you to write mm -hmm. letters to live by for your son that he would open on his fifth birthday or his 10th birthday. And I actually, six months before I was born, yeah. I wrote one to him. And then I actually did, before this, I think it's a great idea, I wrote one for my birthday next year. Yeah. So on my year, I write it the year later, mm -hmm. what has happened in that last year. But you, when you were 18, you wrote it for when you were 38? Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, it's so great because it makes you really think and dream big. Mm -hmm. And what else have you noticed from it? I've also noticed that it's really planted ideas. It's almost like... You don't know what you're looking for. So when you bought your car, you thought that was the only one. And now yes. you drive and you're like, you see it. So it, it gives you a direction. Mm -hmm. And you don't realize what you wrote mm -hmm. until you read it and go, holy smokes or mm -hmm. holy goalie. You know, holy oh. my goalie. I did not know that I set that as a goal for myself. Mm -hmm. Because most times when we're setting goals, we're setting plans. Mm -hmm. And so when the plan doesn't work, we toss the goal. Yes. But we really need to set the goal and let the plan be tossable because mm -hmm. the plan's changeable. So those letters are just full of goals. And I know them. So I know what they're going to say, yeah. but I forget along the way. And then when I opened the one up for my 30th, I was like, whoa, mm. 
holy my. And then I also realized there was like one or two things that I hadn't done. And I was like, okay, yeah, I really need to do that one. I don't think I'm going to paraglide. That one was one thing. I don't know what I was thinking <laughs> at the time that I wrote it, but I'm afraid of heights. So I don't think <laughs> you get to see how much you evolve and you grow and you change. And by the way, it's the most holy my goalie, whatever I've ever heard on a show. But with that context too, write it down, make it happen. I don't know if you've read that book, but that book was a game changer for me. Start writing down everything. All right. Now we are at the finals. Here. Okay. Quickly. Final rapid fire. Gotcha. What's one thing you've done to stand out in business and in life? Hmm. I've lived out loud. I haven't kept it quiet. I've shared with everyone anything that I can think. And I also share with people what I think about them. Mm. So I, I live out loud. Love it. Yeah. Speaking my language here. Uh, <laughs> this is a tough one. You, you know, I've worked with great leaders, you know, John Maxwell, Jack Canfield, but what is some of the best advice you've received? The best advice that I've received was actually having John Maxwell tell me um, in front of a panel of people that the way that I was living was going to change millions of lives. That was the best advice. It made you believe. It made me believe because if someone can look at you and tell mm. from having a brief conversation that the way you're living is going to change lives, then that was permission for me. So that best advice was permission. As a leader, we have to do that. You know, I remember I was at a speaker's dinner and around some of my biggest mentors, my idols, and I sat down next to this gentleman who I looked up to, some of the best books I've ever read. And he said, if you were a stock, I would go all in on you. And what that did for me, yeah. I was on fire the whole night. So us as leaders, how often are we telling our people that same things? Mm -hmm. And I think we have to do that. I'm so glad you went through that as well. And I think we went through that together, probably in similar timeframes, yeah. because we know we have to be doing that as yeah. well. Final question for you. How do you want to be remembered? I want to be remembered as someone who cared. Simple as that. Yeah. I love it. Well, it's obvious how much you care. This is my best in-person interview I've ever done. The only one. It's the first. It's so the first. The, it's the bar's high the bar, for the next The bar is high. No, seriously, you are living out loud. You're making an impact. You're sharing your beliefs, which so many people do. It's so refreshing. I'm so glad that we saw you at the Globe Charters yeah. game. We were so impressed. And Patrick came in running in, you know, just blown away. And that we've now connected because we were supposed to get together. And it's just so fun to see what's happening now. And the book, It's Okay to... IDK. IDK. And uh, check it out. Great read. And how else can people connect with you? They can find me on Facebook mm -hmm. at It's Okay to IDK or at Anakia B. McGee. And they also can find me on my website at com. And they can also find us on Instagram. So it's the only book out there that tells you that it's okay to not know. So <laughs> if you click in It's Okay to IDK, you will find me all over the World Wide Web. I love it. Well, you are going to impact a million people. Thank, thank you so, so much for being much. with us today. And I hope anyone that's listening who's looking to step up to the challenge to help us meet a million teens, that they go ahead in the words of the Savannah Banana Swing for the Vincent. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Business Done Differently with Jesse Cole, the Yellow Tux Guy. If you love the show, let Jesse know by leaving a review on iTunes or sending him an email at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. For more information on the guest and topics of this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out. <laughs>